Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. This is the Obsessible Podcast, and on this show, I talk TV and movies like I will with my girls, my colleagues, my booze, my bays, my people, my persons, y'all, <laughs> strangers even, definitely strangers, can't not include strangers. This is episode four of my Wheel of Time review series, and this will be a review of episode six of the show titled The Flame of Tarvalon. Obviously, I was super excited to watch this episode. I'm super excited to watch every episode of The Wheel of Time, but this one in particular, because I knew that it would feature the introduction of another favorite character in the series. So I have two favorite characters. This person is one of them. And of course, potentially confirm a hinted at relationship. Hinted at in the books. Um, and actually a little bit in the show as well. You might have missed it. Mm -hmm. I was not disappointed with Suan Sanjay, played by the fantastic Sophie Okanedo. Are y'all as obsessed with the series as I am? Because I swear I lose sleep over it. I literally lose sleep over it. <laughs> Especially when I watch the new episodes on a Thursday night, like tonight, tonight's a Thursday, instead of Friday. I can never wait until Friday. And I literally am so excited that I can't sleep after. Like I'm just going over everything in the episode over and over and again in my brain. Until finally exhaustion takes me. <laughs> but it doesn't make for really good nights of sleep in any case. So Fridays can be a little wonky. Uh, I know that I'm definitely not the only one who is having this issue. So I really do hope that you guys have been enjoying the behind the scenes and bonus materials of um, and the after shows and insider um, and the insider shows and reactions. I really hope you guys have been. There's a lot of it, so you should definitely take advantage. Um, there's a lot of bonus material, and it really will help you dive into the mythology and the world of the Wheel of Time that Robert Jordan created. Also, it's a really great way to have discussions about the show and meet like-minded people who are also wanting to talk about what they love and or dislike about it. I highly recommend a YouTube channel called The Dusty Wheel. Matt Hatch is the innkeeper and he's also the host and he produces strictly Wheel of Time content. He also hosts the official Wheel of Time after show called Inside the Wheel of Time. It drops on Tuesdays. He does interviews with the cast and crew and discusses the show with some super fans, Critter, Ridma, and Daniel Green, also a Wheel of Time super fan. Um, I also told you guys about a reaction channel called Everyday Negroes. They are absolutely awesome and have officially given our favorite character some of the best nicknames out there. They are also on YouTube, so find them. Uh, for even more, you can follow the hashtag Twitter of Time on Twitter. That is where the Wheel of Time fandom expresses their thoughts on the show and the books and all things Wheel of Time. And finally, on Amazon Prime, you can find all of the origin stories, set photos behind the scenes, and a bunch of different content to help you dive even into the world even further. So, in each episode, I do a breakdown and review of the entire episode. Follow that up with... Um, a favorite character moment so something that one of my favorite characters did that I thought was awesome or just a character who might not be a favorite uh, character but they did something that I thought was awesome and then I follow that with a hated character moment so definitely someone I am not feeling at all and something that they did and then I talk about that and then I go into a rate of the episode so I will rate the episode out of five and then wrap it up with Twitter Me Laughing, which basically features some of the best tweets that I've come across about the show. If you are new here, welcome to the Obsessible Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, also known as Nikki to my besties. And if you're listening, we are now totally besties. I'm not sure if you signed up for a new best friend, but now you have one. This is what it is. You're here and you're going to come back, right? Okay. So we are now officially BFFs. Thank you so much for listening. Tell another friend so that we can keep building this tribe. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow. We only have two episodes left, y'all. Two? And tonight is one of them. So really, technically, just one. I don't know if I'm ready for it to be over, but I am definitely ready to binge it all. <laughs> back to back. Because honestly, waiting for episodes to drop in between is like a specific kind of torture. It's like a new kind of torture. Can y'all hear the sirens? course there would be sirens when I'm deciding that I want to record and I am not recording over this this is it is what it is y'all fitting to get this real life up in here um anyway there will be spoilers for the books and for the show on these episodes so I would definitely suggest that you watch first and then listen so you know what time it is it's go time go grab a snap snack a snap not 
a snack, get a drink, plug me in, go for a walk, get in the car, go for a drive, or just cozy up in your favorite spot and press play while my voice caresses your ears. I was trying to think of a word there. <laughs> anyway, welcome to episode six review of the Wheel of Time by moi. Let's get it done. Attend you all, she comes. The Watcher of the Seals, the Flame of Tar Valon, the Amelin Seat. So obviously me talking about how much I love Suan as a character, I had to open the episode with that moment. Um, and when I watched it, I, I, so the person you hear speaking, there's no, okay, oh my God, let me backtrack, right? So the person that you hear speaking who is introducing Suan into, as she enters the Hall of the Tower, is her keeper. And her ke the keeper is a very important role in the hierarchy of the Aes Sedai. And the keeper is second to the Amerlin. Um, their right-hand man, their, you know, basically the keeper would be like a warder if um, this particular Amelin had warders. So, and that, uh, the keeper, her, that character's name is Liana. And um, she's played by Jennifer Chion. So, when Liana was introducing uh, Suan, I literally, because that is the form, the formality and the majesty and the pageantry that follow Suan wherever she goes because of her station is um, something that is completely, is always talked about in the books. And so introducing her and how she, how the Amarlin enters any room, um, but specifically the Hall of the Tower was um, something that I had read many, many, many times over and over again um, within the books. So hearing the lines be delivered by the the actor playing. Liana was just a really, really, really special treat and such a really uh, geeked out book nerd, book reader moment for me that I really, really, really loved witnessing. Um, yeah, this hit a little different. This episode hit a little different. I was very overwhelmed. I was super emotional at the beginning because it opens with a very young Suan Sanche. And as I've already said, she is one of my favorite characters. I have two faves and she is one of them. And um, there are so many things that are happening in this moment where we're meeting this young Suan. We're learning that she is um, from Tyr. And just to give you an idea about the country of Tyr, they outlaw channeling. So we learn very quickly that... Um, you know, she kind of lives in this very remote village with her father, who they obviously have a very great relationship, like she's loved, which is a little, is different from the books. Um, and uh, we see that she has really developed her channeling, like she's not just touching the source, she is is creating and, and making weaves and such. And, um, and obviously her father is doing everything that he can to protect her. But then, you know, it all comes to a head when uh, the dragon's fang is scrawled across their door and their little very modest um home that they have is burned down and so he has to then send her off to the tower to um to be initiated by the Aes Sedai and it's a super emotional moment and I was super emotional like I'm like I couldn't believe it I was like I'm three minutes five minutes into this freaking episode I'm already choked up to the point where like I, I had to pause it and like get myself together like because it was full-on tears y'all I was crying crying um but it was just it was yeah it was just such such a precious precious moment between um father and daughter and just really seeing a young Suan um, and who she is, like, and who she becomes was just, like, ah, so amazing. Um, the thing that, one of the things that I absolutely love about the Wheel of Time is that you don't have to be born into something in order to become somebody important in this world. You can be a fisherman's daughter, um, living in a very small village, being poor in tear, and rise to the highest ranks, um, 
uh, and into the upper echelons of, of power in this world, which is what, what we see happening with Suan Sanjay. And so it's just a beautiful moment. They juxtapose the opening with her entrance. And so we see that not only has she gone to the tower and she's, she has done well, she's done the best you could possibly be, don't do. Like you, like, have ascended basically to royalty status like kings and queens bow before this woman she she is the shit she is she's that chick and um it's it's so it's so heartwarming and amazing and thrilling to actually see play out on the screen so i absolutely had to open this review of the episode with that moment where she's intro being introduced into the hall of the tower I'm not going to lie to y'all. I'm a little annoyed right now because I spent most of the day today working on, um, working on my podcast and literally right as I was about to finish my review, it all got deleted. <laughs> so I had to figure out, cause I was, I, I literally was like, I am not recording. Forget this. I'm done. I'm not recording this today. I'm going to record it tomorrow when I am a better, in a better mood. Cause it really frustrated and annoyed me, but I was just like, you know what? Let me just push through. Um, I did not rewrite everything. I am literally watching and recording as I go. Normally I have it all written and scripted out. Um, so that I don't miss anything and I'm not sitting here completely rambling like I'm doing right now and then watch the show also at the same time so that I can remember that there's things that points that I want to hit. But again, so this is going to be, if this episode seems um, a little more rambly or a little less focused, that is why. Okay. So I apologize in advance. I apologize in but we're going to have a good time anyway. We're going to we're going to talk about this episode because this was a really really big episode and if I could give this episode a theme, it would definitely be consequences and reckoning. So right after Suan is introduced and she takes her seat, we see that the reckoning has begun. And it starts with Logain, and he is brought before Suan so that she can render her judgment against him before the Hall of the Tower. The thing about it is, is that Loghain now is in a completely different position than he was in, obviously in the, in episode four, um, when we last saw him fully realized as himself, but now he has lost the connection to the one thing that he desires and loves the most, which is not necessarily his belief that he is the false dragon, but that he was connected to the source and could touch it and could wield the one power. And now that he has lost that, he has lost his will to live. And so he really just wants to be granted what he wants desperately at this point, which is death and a release from the pain of being cut off from the power. And he goes about doing that by attacking the Aes Sedai verbally. Suan being Suan obviously sees right through that, sees it as a ploy and basically sentence him to live much to his dismay. And um, he, the actor who plays Loghain does a really, really amazing job of switching from um, vitriol to despair. And he is then subsequently hauled out of the tower. This whole sequence of scenes that take place within the hall uh, really kind of display the machinations of the Aes Sedai. It shows rank. It shows that even though on their own, they're powerful and commanding women. When they come back home, home, I use that uh, in quotations, to Tar Valan, uh, there is rank and there is order and there is uh, behavior that is expected of you um, as a member of the Aes Sedai and a member of any specific Aja. So there are things that you must adhere to. And so this, uh, these scenes kind of sets you, set you up. If you haven't really seen that yet, if you haven't really understood that to be the world that they live in, these scenes really do establish that rank and order for sure. Um, there's also reckoning for Moraine and Leandrin and Alana as they are the ones who have to take responsibility for the fact that they gentled Loghain in the field before he got to, before they got back to Tarvalon. Um, and in an unprecedented and unexpected turn, Alana, who is a green, supports 
the decision of Leandrin, who is a red and is backed up even more shockingly by Moraine, who is a blue. And these are not Ajas who typically support each other. They typically stand for completely opposite things. And um, so everybody in the hall is completely surprised that this actually even happens. But Leandrin being Leandrin, completely throws Moraine under the bus, even though she just supported her decision to the hall and to the Armorlin. And not only does she throw her under, she throws her under the bus and then she backs over her with the bus about seven times before she's really, before it's all said and done. But Moraine being Moraine just completely maneuvers uh, her way through it as stoically as, as possible. Um, and you know, kind of does and says what she needs to do and say in order to kind of make this moment move along and for things to happen as quickly as possible so she could get the heck up out of the tower and just accept whatever fate it is that is, is going to be assigned to her. All the while having secrets of her own that she, you know, is obviously holding closely guarded to her chest. So, um... Not only did Leandrin really try to bring down Moraine to the everybody, but she also tried to drag the Amarlin into it as well, trying to basically put Moraine out there as a favorite or uh, uh, a, you know, not to be punished as severely as she should be because she is a blue, she's of the blue Aja and um, Suan was raised to the Amarlin seat from the blue Aja. So just really just doing the most in these set of scenes and, you know, really just showing how absolutely wicked and despicable that she is. I went into this series, I went into the show knowing that I was not going to like Leandrin based on who she was in the books, but her additional acts of despicable, despicable behavior are like really no surprise to me. Um, but they do really fold very well into who she actually has been depicted as in the books. Um, so anything that she does is not surprising to me, no matter how wicked she is, no matter how disrespectful she is, she's just despicable. So whatever she does, none of it is a surprise to me at all. Um, uh, as I said, I really kind of like how good of a job the show is doing at showing what life in the tower is like amongst the Aes Sedai. They're, these women are not necessarily safe amongst each other. And even in the books, the books really kind of make you unsure of most Aes Sedai when you encounter them, both from the misunderstandings that surround their existence and abilities, but also because the women themselves adopt this air of superiority that makes it difficult to trust or even like them under certain circumstances. I think this has been really captured exceptionally well in the show, and there's more intrigue to come within this group of women, and it will get worse before it gets better. Much, much worse. One of my favorite moments coming out of this scene within the Hall of the Tower was when Alana, Alana, Moraine, and Moraine exit kind of together and they're talking. Alana's kind of like giving her advice. Leandrin has already exited. And Maxim, one of Alana's orders, warders, hands Alana a pear or something, some fruit, because, you know, snacks. Snacks are required after long meetings, right? I love that he was prepped. And I love that that was just that was just like a little unique character thing that kind of lets you know who Alana is. And I love that all the warders are like Lan um, and Alana's warders are like lined up behind them, like watching the Red Sisters. Like, I dare you to make a move, girl. I dare you. Kind of like they're just like ready for anything. Like, um, but Moraine at this point is just completely, thoroughly, utterly and totally put out. And she's, she's had, you could tell she's had it. Like she doesn't even, if she could get out of Tarvalon as fast as possible, you can tell that is exactly what she wants to do. She is done with these women and everybody has annoyed her to no end. And she is just ready to be a, be back on the road and about her business. But first she must contend with the Emmonsfield Five, right? So she has lost them for several episodes. And so now she must go about the business of finding them. And that's basically her first order of business as she exits the Hall of the Tower and awaits her penance. The first people she finds, obviously, because they're the ones moving about the most, are Nynaeve and Loyal. And she tracks them to the inn that Rand and Matt are actually staying in. And 
It's really quite funny when Rand realizes that the person who's entering his room is not Nynaeve, but actually Moraine and Lan. And he's obviously taken it upon himself into his head that, you know, what Tom said, because both, it seems to both him and Matt, that Matt is deteriorating because Matt can channel. And um, not realizing or knowing any better that the sickness and all of this that he's experiencing doesn't stay with the person who can channel, male channelers, well, actually male and female channelers, but that it comes and goes. Um, and so he has no knowledge. So it's all of this ignorance is up. Op he's operating under. Right. And so he foolishly tries to protect Matt from Moraine and Lan, um, and gets a spanking for it. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous what he, like, who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing? You literally know nothing, you know, nothing. So in assuming out the gate that what's happening to Matt is due to the fact that he's a male channeler and then he's succumbing to whatever mental illness or physical illness. It's just stupid because you don't know anything. And you meet one person who tells you potentially he reminds me of my, my nephew and this could be what's going on and just take that as gospel and run with it. But you don't know. Then you have Nynaeve who rolls up in the situation as like her being herself also arrogant and ignorant thinking that whatever she can do, that she has enough knowledge, also doesn't know anything, to manage what's happening is so incredibly foolish. And the moments that follow completely show how out of their depth they truly are with this situation. So Moraine sees Matt immediately after, you know, Rand tries to attack and stop him, um, stop her from coming anywhere near him. She realizes that something greater is at work here and that um, that Matt is struggling with something because Matt actually tries to attack her with the dagger. He obviously does not succeed and Matt Moraine single-handedly heals him of the corruption that has like found its way into his body because of the fact of his connection to the dagger. So she basically single-handedly heals him from this connection to the dagger. This is not what happens in the book. It actually requires multiple Aes Sedai in order to do this because the power of evil of that place of Shadar Logoth and with that is imbued within the dagger itself is so strong that it requires multiple people. The look on Rand's face after he watches Marine sever the connection between Matt and the dagger is just like, oh crap, I really had no clue as to what was going on here. No fool, you did not. And you almost got your friend killed as a result of it. But um, Moraine kind of, and I actually just really like the depiction of it, but this was the first moment in this episode that made me nervous because I was like, hold up, we're going to heal him now? Like, or we're just making him like, okay, the reason why it made me nervous is because this is not, obviously it's not how it happens in the book and it actually doesn't even happen in the first book. It happens in the second book. And there is a moment where he is kind of buffered. Matt is buffered from the evil of the dagger. They don't take it from him, okay? But they buffer him from the evil of the dagger. And they wait to get him to Tarvalon in order to separate him and sever the connection fully because they, they require more Aes Sedai. They require more power in order to do that. So that happening, and then there's a direct effect on Matt as a result. He gains something, some very necessary skills in his separation from the dagger. So right now for me watching, I'm just kind of wondering like, what is going to happen to Matt? Like, how are they going to show they have actually given him the things that he's going to need in order to um, get him to who he needs to become? Because he's integral in the development and the role of the, like, everything that happens. Like, he is a very key member. He's needed, right? And so it's just a little bit, like, concerning to me, like, how they're going to, all this is going to play out. Then I just absolutely get the next moment that happens, which is Nynaeve shows up all full of attitude, like, of course it's you, whatever, whatever, and Moraine fully frustrated at this point by everybody and done with everybody, slaps her down, just like with words, obviously, and just lets her know, you're dumb. 
you're done. Because you could see what was going on with Matt. You could see it and you thought that what? You were going to boil him some tea and he was going to be all better? No. If you hadn't, if, and basically it was like, if you had have come to me, I would have been able to do something for him sooner and you almost got him killed. So you need to get yourself together, little girl. You want to call yourself a wisdom? Try start being wise instead of being prideful and arrogant and ignorant. Child, I waited for that moment, girl. It was good. It was good, good to me. Because like I said, and I've said more times than once, that Book Nynaeve is very frustrating. And there are definitely elements of Book Nynaeve in Zoe Robinson's depiction and portrayal of, of this character. Um, but she's just not as heavy. Nynaeve is nynaeving a lot in this episode. There's a lot of Book Nynaeve that shows up. And it's so funny because I didn't watch the episode with my sister, but when she did watch it, she sends me a voice note, like, because I was asleep. She watched it some god-awful hour of the, on the weekend and was like, is Nynaeve ever going to stop being annoying? <laughs> I was just like, yes, definitely. But this is definitely not the episode where she depicts any of that. I have come to know myself and understand the world a little bit better Nynaeve. Anyway, I digress. So from there, we have this this moment of like, I just, girl, just take me to the spa for Moraine. Moraine's like, I done had it with all of y'all. Y'all just done pissed me off. I need to go and relax. But while I'm doing that, let me conduct some business. Because so she decides that she needs to go and meet with her, the head of her Aja, which is Megan. And who is the woman who stood up and basically was like, whatever Moraine is doing is, is only known, needs to be known by the blue Aja, which the engine just kind of shuts down. Cool. All right. She goes to meet with my, my with Megan and Megan's like, mm, so look, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. We know that you sunk, the, sunk a ferry. We sent money. Don't worry. We got that. We, we got you covered, girl. But sis, ships is disappearing, you know, off the coast. We don't know what's going on over there. And I need to go check that out. Now, it seems a little weird that the head of the Aja would go and do that because I'm just kind of like, don't you have people? Don't you have soldiers? Like, you're the most powerful person in your Aja. Why would you go yourself? Unless it's absolutely required, right? Um, to do that. So, basically, it's like, you're grounded. You got to stay here. You got to stay in Tarbot, Tar, um, in Tar, but you know what? Trying to decide how I want to say Tar, Tarvalon or Tarvalon is what's tripping up my daggone tongue. So I'm going to say it however I want to say it, okay? So if I don't say it how they say it on the show, that's because I've spent years listening to it and uh, and reading it and saying it as Tarvalon, okay? So if it comes out as Tarvalon or Tar or Tarvalon, that's what's happening. I just don't want to trip over my tongue anymore, okay? Anyway, so after this moment, Moraine obviously starts putting plans into motion because she knows she cannot stay in Tarvalon. For any reason, you know, and even though it would be going great against a direct order of her, of the head of her Aja, she knows that she has to do what, she, what has to be done because she still doesn't know who the Dragon Reborn is. Okay. So after that, using her eyes and ears, she discovers Egwene and Perrin and is able to reunite with him. Perrin is being healed. He looks as though, um, you know, he is recovering because the healing obviously is a rigorous process. And um, Egwene returns the rings of the of the sisters that Aemon Valda had killed to Moraine so that she can hand them over to the tower. And then, you know, which kind of gives Moraine an opportunity to get a little more insight into Egwene. And this is very Egwene. It's both bold and naive at the same time. She jumps in, but she doesn't really necessarily know what she's jumping into or, um, or naively feels that, like, what ever her actions are to fix or solve a problem will solve the whole entire problem, which obviously it doesn't. And Maureen has way more experience than her and kind of like accepts that there's probably going to be more issues to come with these white clothes. And she's, you know, totally right about that. Um, and then, but she also has the opportunity to explain to Maureen what's going on with Perrin and what she witnessed with the wolves and his eyes going golden, etc., which then allows Moraine to say to her, don't tell anybody, don't tell nobody, nobody, nobody what you saw and what you know, because that will put Perrin in danger. And then that's a direct reflection of what's going on in the books as well. Moraine does know more and there is something really major happening with Perrin. They're not doing a good job of explaining it at all. 
at all. And part of that is probably is because they didn't introduce a character who was part of the first book and an integral in parent understanding what's happening with him and why he has this connection to the wolves, why his eyes are gold, all of that. And I don't know how they're going to go about doing that. And I don't know how they're going to allow this character trait of parents to develop because it needs to develop. It's very, very important um, part of the character. So it's either like, and part of me is just like, I have a bunch of problems with this episode, to be perfectly honest. It's not my favorite. Um, but this is definitely one of those things that has to kind of like ramp up because it's necessary and um, it's needed. And if they're not going to do it justice, they should have really just gotten rid of it all together, which would have been devastating, to be perfectly honest. I would have been really upset about that. But um, I don't know. Like, I just don't know what they're going to do. Okay. So back to Maureen doing her thing. Girlfriend decides she's going to do her thing and masks the bond um, with her warder. And Lan rolls up on her and is like, you, you cut me off. Walk on. Like, what you fitting to do? Where you fitting to go? I can't, I, listen, you ain't safe here. This is not the same tower where we were like a couple of years ago. If you, I don't know where you at. I can't help you. So what's going on? Now that is awesome because that is directly from the books and you can mask the bond. And I imagine that there are a lot of situations that women would find themselves in that they would not want their, their warder to experience right along with them. Part of me is thinking period cramps, <laughs> but also intimacy. Like, unless, of course, you use a green and you getting it in with your water, then like, ow, that might be kinky, maybe a little bit addictive too. But nonetheless, um, she shuts him off and he's like, what's, what's up? And then demands that she return to uh, her chambers by, um, by morning, which is just smart because what's about to be revealed is a very long held secret okay which is the relationship between the romantic relationship between suan and moraine for those who don't know this is heavily hinted at in the major bulk of the story but not so much discussed uh, but not really discussed because other relationships come into play and but it is definitely more pronounced in the prequel which is called new spring which I highly recommend that you read because it really does set up the journey that Moraine and Land go on um, for the Dragon Reborn. So Suan and Moraine have this, you know, this time together and they um, use it as an opportunity to kind of talk about their long con. So they don't want people to know that they're in cahoots. They don't want people to know that they that moraine has been on the hunt for the dragon all these for the last 20 years not just two years because they make it seem like moraine has been doing this for two years now she's been doing it for 20 years and um you know they're they're talking about all of the moraine is kind of catching suan up on all of the different ramifications and experiences that she's having and then everything that she's discovered about the Emmonsfield five and then suan is giving moraine some backstory on what's been going on with her and her experiences, mainly the dreams that she's been having. But, okay, which is another big like moment where I'm like, oh my God, what? So Suan is basically saying how she thinks that the, the dark one is weak and this would be a good time to attack him, which is not at, like, because it, which doesn't make sense where you really when you think about it. The Dark One is weak. Throw who we think the dragon is at him so we can just kill him and defeat him now and then we maybe won't have to go through the last battle. But why? An untested channeler up against the father of lies, the father of evil, the father of darkness would just get killed. Like you would just literally be sending him off to like it would be Harry Potter in year one. Like, he just got to Hogwarts, and then he's going to go fight Voldemort. It literally, like, so, and also the location of the Dark One's prison. They say that it's at the Eye of the World in the show. It is not at the Eye of the World in the books. It is at a place called Shale Ghoul, and I'm only hoping that they 
are saying that it's at the eye of the world because they have been misled and deceived to believe that. And so it's a trap. That's the only thing that I'm hoping for. And I hope that when I watch episode seven, seven later on tonight, that that's what this gets revealed to be a complete, utter and total trap and a lie about where the Dark One's prison actually is. Um, because if not, then it, it really kind of, there is just a whole bunch that, like the boar, which is the hole that was drilled into the Dark One's prison by which he, he can touch the world, but also by which those who are his strongest supporters and allies, um, escape. So it just creates a whole bunch of other stuff, like conflicts and whatever within the longer story. And so I'm just kind of like... I really hope that this is not the direction that you guys are going in for real. Like, I really hope it's just fake and it's it's a deep fake and they 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 find out that they're wrong. Um, well, anyway, from that point, we know that there is work to do and Moraine and Suan devise a plan and a course of action. And so we see from there that Moraine decides that she's going to go and meet with Loyal on a one-on-way just like them and she calls loyal to the tower and they have a quick conversation about what they need to do but they don't go into details this was something that i didn't like um also it's important to note that because moraine knows that she needs to continue to be free to do what she's got to do and that swan has to uh, pass sentencing on her for her behavior that she has told that they have decided that what has to happen is that moraine needs to be exiled now, another thing to note from the books, Moraine, from the moment she decides that she's going to go find the Dragon Reborn, she never sets foot back in the tower. She just doesn't go back there. The entire series goes by, Moraine never goes back to the tower until the maybe the very, very, very end in the epilogue. But prior to that, there is no Moraine in the tower. It doesn't mean that there are no machinations, um, but because what they've done is they've transplanted all of this needling and um, negativity that happens amongst the factions to being on the road. And then there is tower politics that happens as well, but that tower politics is centered on when um, Egwene and Nynaeve are entered into the novice book and their time in the tower. So that's where you get really the politics from that point of view. Um, also, it's really... Yeah, so her being exiled is kind of like, okay, here's the moment where I seriously, that I seriously disliked. Like, I it had a really big problem. So to know, right? You should have, we should all understand at this point that I said I cannot lie. They can twist their words, but they cannot tell an outright lie. Unless, of course, they believe it to be true, right? So... As long as they believe the lie to be true, they can tell the lie, but that's, it, it's not, they, okay, they have to believe it, point blank. The other thing that's necessary to note is that, that it's that not, that ability to not lie is bound to them by magic. So it is bound to them with the oath rod that you end up seeing um, what whilst um, Maureen is being sentenced. All right. This is why this whole situation is completely, utterly, and thoroughly unnecessary. If Moraine is given a direct command by the Armorlin, she can't disobey. It is the Armorlin seat, and there are actual repercussions for disobeying the Armorlin, and even for disobeying the Hall of Tower, the Hall of the Tower, up to and including stilling, which is being kind of which is what happens when a woman is cut off from the source and death. So telling her that, that binding her to the oath rod in that moment, completely, utterly, totally unnecessary and really was only used. I feel like to set up this low key private goodbye between Suan and, um, and Moraine, but except for 
except for the fact that it happened in front of the entire hall of the tower and these women are not stupid and Moraine is supposed to be making this oath out loud for everyone to hear and half of it is whispered and their eyes are filled with water and Aes Sedai is supposed to be completely stoic and controlled in their emotions at all times and this is happening and these two are completely off the rails. And if any idiot looking at them would have been able to say, wait a minute, something, what's going on here? There's something going on between these two. Off, it was so obvious that I literally, that I was disappointed because that is not the Aes Sedai way. No Aes Sedai would be that emotional, ever, actually, unless of course their warder dies. And that's, that's, and even when their warders die, they, they manage to con contain your, their grief and meet, and keep it to only their private moments where they can grieve their water alone. So this, that whole scene pissed me off because I was just like, this is so unnecessary. You guys just set this up for a private goodbye between them, but you did it in front of everybody and you did it in front of the shrewdest, most politically savvy group of women, which is the sitters for each Aja. Ridiculous. Totally, utterly, and completely unnecessary. So from that point, Moraine is sentenced. It's this really dramatic moment. She, you know, she stands before her sisters, everyone in the Hall of the Tower, including her, the own head of her Aja and the other sitters of the Blue Aja, turn their back on her. Alana is not a sitter, but she's there waiting faithfully for her outside. The uh, sentencing is pronounced. So everybody who's outside the hall, they also know what just happened and they all turn their back on Moraine. And it's, it's a very emotional moment and Moraine is literally crying. But again, not Aes Sedai-like behavior. Moraine would never cry over a sentencing like that. She wouldn't cry. And really and truthfully, obviously her emotions are over the fact that she's just been exiled from the tower. But except for the fact that the oath that she made was to Suwan specifically, not to the Amarlin Sea, and can be released. She can be released of the, the oath as soon as Suwan calls her back to the tower. So what are you bawling over? <laughs> like, what are you crying over exactly? You guys just got back. Like, you just got back and now you're gone again. You knew you weren't going to stay to begin with. So what, 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 like, what are we? Again, not Aes Sedai behavior. Too emotional. Aes Sedai are stoic to a fault, which is also one of the things that makes um, Nynaeve, when she becomes Aes Sedai, so different because I, Nynaeve is not stoic. Nynaeve does not control her temper. Nynaeve does not hold her tongue. So there needs to be this juxtaposition between the new characters, the new, the new Aes Sedai coming in and how powerful they are in comparison and how different they are in comparison to the long-standing established Aes Sedai. And making them this emotional is not going to do enough of a, 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 a contrast between the two groups of women. And I, I just, it really bothered me. Um, it just, yeah, that, I couldn't put my finger on what was annoying me about the scene. Um, besides the fact that it also gave off wedding vibes and I was just kind of like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, so between the unnecessary oath the the emotional nature of the scene it was nice like from a show perspective if they weren't Aes Sedai if they were kin or if they were uh women's circle women any other group of women it would have been that whole thing would have been fine but because it was a group of Aes Sedai and because I'm such a fan of the books I just was like I can't get behind this representation sorry I'm annoyed um it didn't ruin the episode but I just it was the point that I didn't like the most from here, it's like, it's it's go time. We, Moraine exits the city and we get a reunion and she finds herself at the at the foot of a away gate. Again, a very big departure in terms of the, the look, the design of the away gate. It is a beautiful thing in, in the books. And I understand it, were, it would have cost a lot of money to depict the way gates in the way that they're depicted in the books. Um, but I, I, again, annoying. So they have to leave the city, but they're not really leaving, really, really leaving the city because the way gate is kind of like in a area that is like, used to be a grove, a stand of trees, sung into existence by the Ogier, and they are about to enter it. But right before that, the Emmonsfield Five show up um, along with Lan and um, with Loyal. 
in order to get their little reunion in. And so they finally see each other again at Gwainsey's Rand for the first time, which is like so cute. Um, Perrin and Matt meet. Everyone's like, oh, we're finally back together again. Also did not like when the reunion took place. I personally felt like they could have... I felt like from the point where the sentence was passed, everything after that was rushed. It was just rushed. Um, I, I could have... I felt like the story could have dealt... Could have had a scene where, like, we go from her sentencing, not to her immediately leaving the city, but to, like her going and meeting with the Emmonsfield Five and sitting down with them and explaining that they need to go on this journey and explaining to them what needs to happen. And the reason why they needed, I feel like they needed that scene like at an inn somewhere where that's where they would have their initial reunion. All, also because it happens that way in the book, but more so because it there's not enough time with them, with the Emmonsfield Five. That is the heartbeat of this story. It is their connection, their friendship, their love and loyalty for each other that really is the heart of the story. And there hasn't been enough of that, in my opinion. And so when, you know, having them just reunite in front of the Waygate and then having to decide on the spot to make a decision is just kind of like not really who they are. They would have sat, sat and talked about it and weighed the pros and cons about it and you know, Rand would have tried to take it all on his own, you know, whatever. And Matt would have done what Matt, you know, been skeptical. And Perrin would have been long in thought about it um, and and slow to speak about it. But that's how it would have happened. And I that's how I felt like it should have happened because it would have given us more insight into them as a group. And we haven't just, we just haven't really had that. Like since what, episode two, when they were uh, right before Shadar Logov, uh, yeah, so it's just, it's not enough of that for me. Anyway, they have to make this decision. They, have, they make it quickly. And four of the five of them decide that they're going to move forward. And the fifth person is Matt. And he decides he's not. In that moment, again, I'm very nervous. Like, the, when the, the way the episode ended had me shook. Because I was like, what are you guys going to do? Now, just for those who don't know, the, char- the actor who plays Matt, his name is Barney. And he has left the show. He's already been recast for season two. And I believe it was at the end of episode six that we saw where, and there was clearly some pickup shots that had to, that had to happen where it looks like he left the production, right? Which obviously is like, like a stressful thing for the producing, for the producing team. Like I can just imagine um, how stressful that would have been, but they have enough fodder, like enough source material and obviously of course right because the scripts would have all been written at this point and then they now have to make this pivot and this change based on the content that they already have for the production so it would have really thrown the whole thing into a tailspin i get that but to if unless they actually had already written in the fact that matt was not going to go down this road with them that's the only way that i can see that this could be really kind of saved and relinquished but right now I'm just like what are they going to do like how is this actually going to play out so I really have no idea this is this is brand new territory because it is not the way it happened in the books and it is a a crazy huge departure um from the story the other thing that is really interesting to note here too is the way gates have a key so typically or from the books the way gates are turned with an aventasaur leaf key like it's right a vendasaur is a tree of life okay just for for you to know which they have not mentioned a vendasaur at all which is going to be interesting because we need to understand we need to know what a vendasaur is because there was a war that was fought because of a vendasaur so anyway but now in this iteration of the story on, on the show the way gate is accessed by channeling this kind of asks an, a question or leaves a question in my mind because there are people that need to kind of follow them. And if those people cannot channel, then how do they follow them? You know? And who's been accessing the Waygates? Because they're, they're hinting at it in the show. If you haven't picked up, Megan asks Moraine, how did the Trollocs make it to the Two Rivers undetected? Right? They've answered the question by providing us with the concept of the ways. But 
who helped them get there? Who was the channeler? If the chat, if it's channeling is required to enter the way gate, how, who did it for them? So that's the question that, that, that it kind of leaves in my mind. So to give you an idea, so Loyal kind of gives a really quick explanation or he tries to, and then Maureen cuts him off. But the ways were grown by the male channelers of the Age of Legends and during the Age of Legends, and they were um, then corrupted by the taint of the Dark One, and so they're not a safe place any longer. They used to be beautiful, they used to be gorgeous, they used to be safe, and people would travel them all the time, but now if you go in there, it's quite, quite possible you may never come out. Um, if you go in there, it's quite possible that you might come out crazy or have your soul sucked out of you. So, that being said, The Ways is a very, 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 very unsafe place. And it's going to be interesting to see how they depict that in episode 7, which I am looking forward to seeing happen. Alright, so that is what brings us to the end of the episode. Up next, my favorite character moment. And Matt? Recovered enough to be drowning himself in morning air. Can he ride? Matt Corson. Is that his name, yes? Same boy you visited at the Light's Blessing yesterday. Strange how he and his companion, is it Ram, are also from the two rivers. Along with the two strangers now Spectre Health by our yellow sisters. Or friends of Nynaeve, perhaps. <laughs> I'm sure the Amelie would love to understand that connection. I know about the man you meet in North Harbour. Walk away. Never mention this again. Or I will tell your red sisters where he lives. We both know what they'll do. Man, I could not have I? been more satisfied with I couldn't have been more satisfied if Moraine had punched her dead in the face. <laughs> it was, whoop! Yes, shut your ass up and go sit down somewhere. Go and bother someone else, you petty, petty, petty jealous woman. Like, this, all right, so for me, I don't know about for you, for me, I understand Leandrin's, what's the word I'm looking for? motivations okay Leander's motivations are very specific in nature so I am good with this the problem here though I think is that she's not really a very well she's not a very well-developed villain she's not for anybody who's just watching the show I'm sure they're enjoying her and enjoying it I'm sure because you know essentially most people are enjoying it and enjoying her um, as Leandrin but do they really know what she wants do they really know why she's doing the things that she's doing? Do they really know why she has this attitude towards Moraine that seems to just kind kind of be based on some sort of like history that they might have with each other? But what is that history? So I just feel like there there probably needs to be a little more development of Leandrin. And I'm accepting of everything that she does because I'm already very familiar with her character, right? But how is that for you guys who are non-readers? Like, do you guys feel like Leandrin is a well-developed villain? I'm actually going to do a Twitter poll on that. Check me out at The Backstage Life on Twitter. At The Backstage Life. Um, I'm going to do a Twitter poll because I really want to feel, I, I really want to see if people feel like Leandrin is a well-developed villain. But that was absolutely my most favorite moment of this episode when Maureen was just like, have fun. You ain't the only one who know things, okay? All right? You out here doing your little thing, sneaking around, figuring out ain't, ain't nobody following you or ain't um, interested in what you got going on. But I got your number, sis. I got your number. Who's a little man friend you got, huh? Huh? Love it. Loved everything about that. <laughs> Up next, most hated character moment. You don't care about the girl. When we found Moraine, she was traveling with the most powerful channeler we've seen in a thousand years, more powerful even than you, Mother. And yet Moraine said nothing of the girl's skills. We knew nothing. 
Until Nynaeve Almira healed us of our wounds. Oh, I was unaware she could channel. Sorry, what did you say? I was unaware that she could channel. <laughs> but you must have known she was more than a simple village girl. You must have known she was something special. I suspected. Is there a point, Leandra? Moraine has flitted back and forth to the tower for 20 years? Her purpose, the purpose of all blues, is to gather secrets and discover danger before it strikes at the heart of us, before it strikes at you, Mother. But Trollocs invaded from the west, and Loghain's army swelled from the south without even a warning from Moraine. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I suggest you ask her, Mother. This is blue business, Mother. Not by scrutiny in this hall. All business is judged here, my gun. Unless you're suggesting Yamelin does not wish to question Moraine because Mother was once blue herself. I'm gonna just cut it there. It continues, but girl, bye. Again. Again. She's gonna end up. Well, you know what? There are more coming. <laughs> there are more villains coming, so. Um. Leandrin, you are again awarded with most hated character moment for an episode. Not really surprising, considering you're terrible. Um, but the fact that she tries to take Suwan down in that moment, like even Suwan is doing the best to control her face. Like when she starts talking, she's like, "Is there something else that you need to say?" and you know, the facts, everything that she's even suggesting, first of all, okay, is Moraine the only person, only person in the Blue Aja who has left the tower and is out there discovering secrets? There is a whole entire network of spies, which we learn about after, um, in her meeting, in Moraine's meeting with Maegon at, at the bathhouse. Like, why are you putting this all on me? I'm supposed to know about absolutely every cotton snatching thing that happens in the whole entire world, Effa? What were you doing for the last 20 years? Shouldn't you be doing your part too? I can't stand. Oh, oh, that part, oh my God, that part made me so annoyed. I just, which means she's doing her job. She is doing her job. Kate is doing her job as Leandrew because I cannot stand her. Cannot stand her. Anyway, <laughs> next up, I rate the episode. Carrie Ann Inarvin. Nine! Len Goodman. Nine! Bruno Tom Young. Ten! So I give this episode a rating of three out of five stars. Um... There's just so much happening in this episode that is such a great departure from the story that I have grown to love and have immersed myself in time and time, time and time again that it, I'm now very worried for where where we're going. Like, how is this all going to play out? I am, I promise you guys, I'm really doing my best to try to love the show for the show and not pile too much expectations on it for the fact that it's based on something that I have loved for years okay um at this point decades at this point so i am really trying to just let it stand on its own but there are moments where i'm just kind of like what the heck like and this was that for me like the lack of stoicism from the eyes to die um matt's no, not going into the ways moraine saying she'd rather kill them all um, before she allows the Dark One to have them, but then letting Mac, Matt go off on his own and not trying to stop him from that. Like, it's, 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 it, I don't know. There's just a lot of questions that I have to ask, right, about, about the show. And so, yeah, that's why it has, it has definitely given me, uh, yeah, less intense love and adoration for this episode. So, it was a good episode. It was a solid episode. It was a reckoning, reckoning episode. We knew that that was going to come. There were going to be consequences. and um, But we also got connection and we also got reunion. So it was a little bit of everything, but reckoning and consequences were definitely the theme for this episode. So it's again, a solid three out of five for me. Next up, Twitter me laughing.
So here are a few tweets about the show that I absolutely thought were funny, interesting, endearing, on point. Um, yeah, so here we go. So at Mostly Bree tweeted, I loved a lot about episode six of hashtag the wheel of time, but I feel like we can't lose sight of the fact that Maxim is a warder who brings snacks to the hall of the tower hall of fame material. The bar has forever been raised, has been raised forever. I love that. And there's, she added pictures of Maxim handing Alana the pear and Alana having the pear in her hand eating it. At Rosie Sharp tweeted, the casting call for episode six of hashtag Wheel of Time must have called for bad bitches only because they all served. Period. It's also amazing to see this kind of diversity such as women wearing hijabs in a, fa- in a fantasy show. Hashtag the Wheel of Time. That was actually one of the things I absolutely loved and adored um, about the show. I think one of the very first things I noticed was one of the Red Sisters with the hijab and that was from episode four and I just my heart sang for Arab women and hijab wearing women all over the world who are also into fantasy because yeah like being able to see yourself represented in a show in a genre that you absolutely love like this must have been like just the most amazing thing so I loved that Uh, I just dropped my remote y'all gonna ignore that okay and I'm not cutting it out At Robert's Guy tweeted, are you sheep gutted milk drinkers ready for the ways? Faldara, some bloody snow action. The flaming amazing at Kay Alexander and the dynamic duo of Thomas Channing and Sensediver brought to you by Kieran1000. It's getting real, y'all. Hashtag Twitter of time. Hashtag the wheel of time. If you don't know, Guy Roberts was recently cast um, for season two, and he will be playing, I believe, Uno, who is a Shinarin, and this is where we're going to the land of Shinar, um, Faldara being the fortress city that we're going to be entering in episode seven. So he has been cast, and that is exactly how Uno would talk. So <laughs> he nailed that tweet. Um, at K Batchelder tweeted, I hope you're, you're all checking out hashtag wheel of time on Amazon prime. I haven't read the books, but I'm hooked big time on this show below are some highly recommended and spoiler free resources from at unraveling the wheel of time and Matt. Hey Matt at the dusty wheel that add to my enjoyment of each episode. You've got to get the extra content. You've got to get the conversation because that's what makes it that much more fun to experience and watch at me raving tweeted, I think this one's going to get a lot of traction. Hashtag wheel of show gifts, hashtag wheel of time show gifts, Twitter of time, dragon mount, wheel of time. And it is the shot of Moraine channeling the, and holding the dagger, Matt's dagger above her hand. And she's like, oh, you stupid boy. Love it. Absolutely love it. At Uno's eye patch, Brandon Sanderson tweeted, Brandon Sanderson on adapting hashtag the wheel of time. I want book fans to be able to love the show for what it is instead of hate the show for what it isn't. Let the new piece of art be the new piece of art because it doesn't change the books. You can always go read the books. I think I may have read that already, but it's true, right? Yeah, it's totally true. But the books is not a visual representation. So let me be mad, all right, Brandon? Let me be me, let me be a little mad, okay, about certain things because it's there's certain things you just want to see represented visually, right? And so I understand for those book readers who, are, who might be struggling a little bit because even myself, like this episode really made me realize how much expectations I had for the show and how you know, it can really cause you to struggle under the weight of your own expectations for, for what you're seeing. So I totally get it for those who are questioning. Um, but I also think that a lot of people are not as newly read as I am having had done a reread. So there's things I absolutely remember and I totally know happened. Um, and they're just shifted in chunks. And, but a lot of people are like, oh, that's not what happened, but it totally is what happened because they don't, they literally don't remember. Anyway, and then finally, at the Dusty Wheel tweeted, if you celebrate any holidays this month, are you finding that you have done zero to little planning around those holidays while simultaneously finding time to tweet, chat, live stream, and or do other hashtag the Wheel of Time related activities? Just me? Hashtag Twitter of time. I actually tweeted Matt back and said, nope, I've actually been able to do it all. I'm all done my Christmas shopping, which I am. and But I have still been able to obsess totally about the show. In any case, we have come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for sitting around and listening with me, walking your dog, cuddling, drinking some some good old ale. I don't know what y'all was doing, but thanks for taking the time to listen to me rant a little bit about episode six and break it all down. 
with and for you. Keep watching the show. I'm going to be dropping this episode tonight, 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 um, right before episode seven is available. So once you are done watching episode seven, you can come back and take a listen to my review of episode six, or you can wait till the whole season is done and then binge my entire show. Yay. And if you do that, I want you to let me know. Find me on Twitter at The Backstage Life um, and on Instagram at Rosebud Entertainment. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Once again, this is your girl, your bestie, Nikki, a.k.a. Nicole, checking out. Have a great day. Bye.